with me, we have another guest, but as always, we have with us uh, Mark Canty. Evening out. John Joe Cosgrove. Hello, everybody. And Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our, our special guest tonight, we have Gareth Powell. Welcome, Gareth. Hi. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gareth, who are you? What do you do? Give us your thing. So, um, I'm a bricklayer. I build <laughs> walls and... We were really scraping the barrel for uh, for guests. He <laughs> <laughs> was outside doing, you know, and we thought, yeah, hey, yeah, coming in, you know. Yeah, no, um, I write books about spaceships um, and occasionally books about talking monkeys. <laughs> okay. Uh, and event- for the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> and eventful few, uh, past couple of weeks as well with, with the latest announcement. Yes, yes. Uh, some of the books about spaceships are being made into a TV series at the moment. No way! Um, in the US. And oh, it's, brilliant. Uh, very exciting time. Um, um, who, uh, do, you, do we know what channel it is? is, is it, can you say? We, we don't know which network it'll be yet, but the, um, the production company and the studio are, are working together on a pilot to, uh, and hoping that uh, one of the networks picks it up soon. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's really exciting. Have you, have, I've read, have, sorry, I've read the script and it's really good. Um, <laughs> it's an, not one of those deals where, yeah. not one of those deals where you read the script and you go, "Oh shit, is it worth the money?" <laughs> so, um, so, what is the score with that? Uh, do you have any sort of input on uh, on the script itself or on the characters and things? Uh, well, um, yeah, I've got some uh, um, consultancy. Um, the final decisions wouldn't be mine, um, but I've got a very good agent, and they've sort of negotiated some input on my behalf. And um, I'm credited as co-executive producer as well on the series, nice. so cool. I, I will have a minimal input, I suspect. <laughs> but I, I suspect the creative decisions will be made by the producer and the director. What really kind of made my ears prick up was I saw like some of the guys from the Expanse are kind of behind this as well it's like one of the directors i think is involved yeah breck heisner who directed i think 10 or so episodes of the expanse yeah oh uh, wow some of the sort of uh the sort of backroom people i think are also involved in in bringing it to the tv in the first place so oh that's fantastic wow <laughs> wow uh, were you when, when you when you heard the news what was your uh what was your reaction was it like were you were were you super amazed by it? Um, no, because I've kind of known for eighteen months. <laughs> <laughs> so, that that must have been a nightmare to keep to yourself. Oh, 18 no months. way! It, it uh-huh. has been. Well, we we sold the option like eighteen months ago to them, and so it's been a real slow drip of like, oh, well, there's a scriptwriter on board. Oh, now there's a script. And now there's a director, and that's taken 18 months just to get those three pieces of... So when it's like the big announcement last week, everyone's going, oh, you must be so excited. Okay. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I've been been sitting on it for for such a long time now. It's just like, oh, the relief I can tell people about. Yeah, that's that's better. (laughs) Just imagine the first time someone says it to you, you go, yes, it's brilliant. And then after the 10th time, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's still part of me that won't 
won't actually believe it's real till I see it actually see it on the screen. So, do you have like you know um, an estimated time or date when you can expect it to be on there? Okay, it's just uh, it's coming at some point. It's coming. I don't, you know, I don't know if they'll wait and film it after the plague has passed, or if yeah. you know, I don't know what the what the plan is there at all. So. Then you have to get someone interested in it, and then they have to get that get people to sign off and spend money on it. Then they have to make sure everyone that was involved can come back to do more, and it either goes quickly or slowly, I suppose, doesn't it? Oh wow! Yeah, and there'll be casting and and all sorts and special effects and what have you. So it'll probably be a while. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. I'll tell you that. So am I. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like this is like this is like a universe and like a story you've written about in, in like a trilogy, and then suddenly it's like you see in your words made manifest on a screen. It must be very exciting to kind of anticipate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, I've had some people have done like fan art of my characters and stuff, and that's been a very strange experience seeing um, like a character or or a a situation that has existed in my brain and then suddenly someone's taken it and interpreted it and it's like mm. it's escaped into the world and taken on a life of its own so I, I suspect it will be very very strange for me to be watching like my story and my characters but there will obviously have been mm. changes to bring it to the tv format so it's going to be mine and not mine at the same time have they started with concept art and stuff like that or is it i've too not early? seen i've I've not seen any yet. I've I've read the the pilot script, as I said, and it's annoyingly it's sort of better than the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but that's fine because I can still t- take credit for. <laughs> so I'm sorry, my credit. But at least but you, yes. you um, I, uh, the uh, the tri- is, the books are finished. The, you've got you've got the trilogy uh of, of embers of war is there any more it's not going to be like a G- george r. r martin where it's going to be finished off before the series uh finishes sort of thing um no the trilogy is all written and published so you oh, can go out and buy it and read it today yeah yeah okay so that's good so it's not going to be they're going to be um they're going to be sort of making stuff up at the very end to sort of kind of fit in <laughs> no no we're not going to have that situation luckily but it's um you know, if it if it goes really, really well and they want more series, then I, I could be lured back to writing more books. So. Mm, right. Yeah, it's going to ask like no given like the interest from the series will generate into your into the books. I mean like yeah. how did the series did your trilogy end in such a way that you could, you know, continue the stories of uh, the castle or like this to expand different areas of that universe? Yeah, I um, I brought the characters' stories to a you know f- you know full arc over the trilogy, and they yeah. were developing. But there are there is space there for it to space. Ha, there is space for it to um, sort of develop, and I can bring bring them back and and well some of them and do uh, new things with them if the uh... if the cash is there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if they throw <laughs> loads of wads of money at you, and it's like there you yeah. go. Pure cash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's say cash, but like, no, is this like a universe and a story that you would want to come back to? I mean, I'm I'm very fond of the characters, and as I say, even even before this uh, TV deal was was done, I had kind of been messing about with ideas for sequels. Um, 
but we we shall see. I mean, it's part of me would like to come back to the characters. Part of me finishes. I, you know, thinks I gave them a a, a good ending. And yeah. I don't want to come back and sort of spoil that. So you know, we'll we'll wait and see. It's um, the time the you know the, the time would have to be right. Do you think that if you do a, a follow-on after the TV series has kind of had a chance to have a run, that you would find that it would be, would you be growing from the books or would you find yourself taking some inspiration with maybe from how the, some of how the TV series thread treated the same property as well as kind of... I, not having been in this situation, I don't know. I suspect if I did that, it would be a continuity nightmare because... yeah. Yeah. They might, if I took things that had happened in the TV series that maybe hadn't actually happened that way in the books, it would uh, could cause a problem. Yeah, well, I mean, like, um, Doug Adams had great fun with continuity with his Hitchhiker series, which had uh, the radio plays, the books, uh, the, <laughs> and all, and so many different elements that he just kind of basically shrugged his shoulders and went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think with um, when you see books that are being adapted into TV, there is always this fine line of how faithful you feel they're going within the original work, and then how much they change, how much they obviously because some things do obviously translate better than others mm. on script. Obviously, without obviously giving too much away, how much would you say roughly is still very faithful to your book, and then how much is has been altered or been adapted for the TV pilot? Well, they're two completely different mediums. So um, in the script, there are sort of scenes introducing the characters that aren't there in the book, because in the book you get kind of get, um, you know, what may be like a sentence or two of exposition needs an entire scene to kind of play it out. So the the spirit is, of the book is there. The scriptwriter Gary Graham loves the novels really enthusiastic loves the characters so he's done them he's done a really really good job on it and the characters i recognize them as the characters I, I made up but and but he's he's kind of given me a master class in turning sort of tell into show so interesting we've got, we've got um some comments on on youtube here uh uh, generic rich says hey gareth congrats on the tv shen the tv shenanigans uh and then he says ridley scott had problems with the alien franchise and continuity wouldn't worry about it <laughs> we don't talk about the alien prequels we just don't yeah no I, th I thought the continuity between the first and the second movies was pretty good and it's a shame there were none after that <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I didn't mind Alien, Alien Three. I thought Alien Three was all right. I, you know, I think it's under underrated. I quite like it. Well, anything no, after I, that, I, I never forgave it for killing Newton Hicks off screen. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a far. It's a, Alien Three was a good science fiction film. It just wasn't a good aliens film, which had such uh, a pedigree behind it. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, also, you've been collaborating with a certain Peter F. Hamilton as well. Yes, we, we wrote a book together that's coming out in August from... Oh, nice. Tour. Can so. you tell us anything about that? So, yeah, it will have a cover and pages. Even better. <laughs> that's what I'd like to hear. No, it's, it, it's called Light Chaser, and it is the story of a, uh, a woman called Emily who travels 
from star to star um, and world to world within human space collecting memories. Um, so each world she goes to, she drops off some uh, necklaces that record your your memories um, and she picks up the last batch she left there and her circuit takes a thousand years. So these necklaces get passed down through the generations and then she picks them up and they have lots of uh, uh, memories on them that you can then she takes back to the core planet so they can experience life in the um in the periphery um but as she does this she starts to come across the same voice leaving messages for her throughout the centuries and throughout the different worlds and there's a mystery there that's going to turn everything upside down i was writing with another author it was a lot of fun it was like um i sort of liken it to uh two musicians jamming so it was you know we both got in there we both kind of did our thing and our styles meshed really well which was quite good how did you kind of like um decide who was going to write what because i mean i can imagine there's and without overlapping each other or dominating the book well we we kind of we threw plot ideas back and forth over email for a while and then um I popped round to, to to Peter's and we sat in his study and we went through the what scenes were going to be needed and it was like, well, you write that one, I'll write that one, you write that one, I've got a good idea for that one, and so on. And then we went away and um, we wrote out our various things and then slotted them into the um, in the main document as we'd written them, but also read back to what the other, you know, what mm. the other person just in case there were things we needed to to add in. So, you know. what software tool did you use for that? Because I mean, was it just Word or did you use something else? Um, well, being very high tech, um, cutting edge sci fi writers, we used Word. <laughs> if it works, don't knock it. Yeah. I, I think we're both of a generation. I can't really speak for Peter, but I suspect that we started writing on typewriters when we were younger. <laughs> and kind of Word is suits that. Yeah. Um, yeah. that, that approach to starting at the beginning and writing through to the end. Um, I have tried Scrivener, but it, it feels too much like data entry a lot of the time. I have trouble with that. I keep coming back to it. I've owned it for about three years. And it it does feel like you spend too much time using the tool and in order to try and get to the bit you want to do, which is the writing sometimes. Yeah. And I, I kind of hold the whole um, book in my head as I'm writing it. And right from the start to the end, in order yeah. so I can keep up the. It's kind of can't quite explain it, but it's, it's like a rhythm. And I think, yeah. I, you know, I kind of go up and down, and it's like, where am I in this rhythm? Whereas if I try writing the scenes out of order, it's just a mess. And you know, I get, I don't know if it's kind of like an OCD thing or something, but I can't stand seeing all the chapters separated. I want them yeah. all in the same document where they belong. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I, settled on word and uh peter's the same and uh yeah we were just basically emailing a word document back and forth between us hasn't even quite got to the google documents shared document thing yet no no not, not we're just not not hip and down with the kids enough for that sort of thing <laughs> do you it's have do you have specific lines that you sort of well certain well certain riffs you know you were talking about sort of like riffing on do you have certain areas that you work on individually or is it a free game for everything do you sort of kind of help each other out with different parts um 
Like, well, is there a specific the character? Is there like a, spe- a specific character that you would go right? Well, I'll deal with that character. You deal with this character. Um, no, I mean, it, I mean, as as it's this woman traveling through space, it's basically almost a single character. Oh, okay. Um, and there is a there is a there there are other characters, but they they kind of come and go. And, and uh, so it was. We both wrote scenes with that character in. Um, did you have to have like a session where you go right? Well, this is this is how she is. This is how she will act to things. This is how she might. Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, I can't think of the word. How she talks. Um, we we kind of did that as we went along. Um, you know, I I, I wrote. Uh, you know, he wrote a scene and I wrote a scene and I did uh, a lot of the initial kind of. It's really hard to talk about this without giving any spoilers away. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, we'll I, I not write... say anything. Yeah. <laughs> I would did write... you find? Did you find that her voice sort of matured through the book as you were writing, which kind of allowed you to both stay in sync? Because you said it's dealing with such a long period of time. So did it start one way? Maybe one of you started the first few chapters, and as you were kind of hopping over, leapfrogging each other, writing, that she kind of developed as you un- as your understanding between you developed of her. Yeah, yeah, and I think also the the way we structured it, the end of the story takes place at the beginning of the book. Um, so we kind of we were writing sort of out of time as well. So it's um, okay. It, it it was interesting, and I say our, our styles mixed very well. That Peter obviously writes very kind of mind blowing yeah <laughs> stuff, but at great length, and I I. I tend to be a little more kind of concise so we kind of um brought out the best in each other in that way yeah i was going to ask like you know given peter hamilton's approach to novels being doorstep levels yeah and given your own concise nature how did that kind of uh, those almost conflicting approaches intersect well this this is a a novella uh, i think it's about 30 something thousand words which you know that's basically a you know one of his chapters yeah, <laughs> a, a chapter for him, so. uh, yeah it, it's it's um i have this him on a motorbike and yeah. you with big old boots hanging onto the back of the bike <laughs> no slow up a bit slow up a bit <laughs> yeah it was kind of like he's going come on gareth and i'm going no hang on mm-hmm. so yeah but you know it, it was fun and we did things like i introduced a cat in one chapter <laughs> um <laughs> And he killed it off in another. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Oh. But, uh, that's, that's one thing I was going to ask. Like, you know, when you're editing someone else's work, on the, on the, when they're editing your work, is there some kind of like almost possessiveness? Of like, how could you do that to that line? That was a perfectly good line. No, remarkably, we were both fairly ego-free about it. It okay. was. You know, it was just like he he would say, "Oh, this bit needs to change," and I'd go, "Yeah, you're right." And I'd say, "Oh, I think the, this would happen." And he'd go, "Oh, of course, yes." So we were, you know, there was no kind of there was no sort of uh, locking antlers or, or puffing out chests or anything like that. It was it was very kind of um, what's the word? Not workmanlike, but yeah, very very practical and uh, pra- pragmatic. Yeah, and just like this is the story we're trying to tell, and we're just trying to make the best story we can so that's good was was this because you had a um this is a really bad analogy but it's the it's the closest i can get to it but um basically i I, i'm in a band and when we write something um if i've got an idea about it 
and I've written effectively the song, I get very protective about things because it's being written by me. Whereas okay. if some, if I come up with a riff and somebody else comes up with a riff and we start pushing them together, I'm a lot easier about how things move along and how they go because I have any preconceptions of how I want it to go. Is it a similar sort of a similar sort of thing? I, I guess so. I mean, I, I had a vague idea that I floated to him and he took it and said, well, actually, this would work better this way. And it went back and forth like many times. And so by the time we settled on an actual idea, it, it was very much both of both of ours. All right. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So which which was good. Is Peter trying to climb up the chimney? <laughs> he, does, he does this all the time because it's cold. Yeah. He goes and gets himself. He comes and that's why, you know, we know he's really set up. Don't tell <laughs> the video on these sides going to be blocked. Yeah, he's got himself a log could, burner and his, he's got himself a log burner in his study. So he, uh, he right. goes off to, you know, throw that in, you know, while we're all freezing. Can you hear me, Santa? It's me, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's back now. Oh, he's back now. Oh. <laughs> Incidentally, Gareth, I did just buy about writing to have a read of that during the week. So that, I'm interested to see how that is. Oh, good. Yeah, I hope you find it useful. That was, uh, that was, um, yeah, that was a fun book to accidentally write. So. <laughs> Did it kind of come out of notes and stuff and say, actually, this might actually turn into a book, but I'm not careful. Yeah, that was that was a book I accidentally wrote and sold in the same evening. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was I was backing up my my old website, um, and I had a lot of blog posts and stuff on there, and a lot of um, articles and. and I had some chunks uh, taken out of interviews that I thought were quite useful and, and bits of advice and so on. And I thought oh, I'll stick these all in one word document for use. And I stuck them all in there and it came to about 30, 40,000 words. So I, tweet, I tweeted, oh, I seem to have accidentally written a how to write book. And <laughs> Luna Press tweeted back, we'll publish it. So <laughs> happy days. Yeah, so that's I'm how sure that happened. Just- I'm sure your bank manager was happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I well, I, he's he's just he's just done a Jesus. He's got he's turned water into wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a question uh, here from a, a generic rich. Uh, what sort of sci-fi concepts fascinate you, and what might you want to explore in the future works? Oh, good question. Um, I tend to find that what fascinates me reveals itself over time as I look back at what I've written and think I keep returning to that um you know like talking spaceships and uh, um sort of lone embittered space captains and, and things and, and the, the idea of found families and and atoning and and kind of working out when you've lost everything where do you go and who who are you um and those kind of themes just seem to keep bubbling back up in my in my work. So it's not consciously, but you know, when I, when I sort of write, and I think, oh, we're back here, are we? Um, but yeah, it's it's I, I've always been endlessly fascinated with starships and um, sentient starships and kind of what it means to be human and those kind of areas. I you know I can't see myself drifting away from the, from them quite dramatically you know i'm not gonna so write so, so so fantasy epics coming your way then coming our way then <laughs> no no kind of uh, rom-coms or um <laughs> anything like that in the works so um and dragons with young young teenage teenage girls then <laughs> no no it's, but it's uh you know after, after the uh the embers trilogy i've um 
started work on two more novels for Titan Books, which are space operas, but set in a whole new world. Um, so a whole different universe from the Embers universe, uh, which is a universe where um, in, the, in the near future, um, humanity gets kicked off Earth um, by uh, uh, an alien race for the good of the Earth. Not, not, um, and so he, but luckily they're, they're merciful. So they, they sort of excise, they think humans are like a cancer. So they take, excise the humans, but they give us a fleet of arcs to live in. Um, and we're sent off into the galaxy with the strict instructions. We're never allowed to mess up any more biospheres. So <laughs> it's like, go off and, and, you know, do your thing, but leave the planets alone. Bad humans. <laughs> So it, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like a Battlestar Galactica kind of culture kind of set up where the humanity is kind of trudging through the universe and these these spaceships getting into trouble and stumbling across ancient alien artifacts and so on. Um, but it's very much we've been wrapped over the knuckles and and we're having to deal with the ramifications of kind of being told off and um you know the, the, the parents stepping in and saying look you've made a mess <laughs> look what you've done i can't believe what yeah. you did yeah it's almost an inverse of bastard galactica though where it's not because um an enemy has attacked the home planet and had to flee it's more like we are the enemy we, we said dude you can't live here you're destroying the planet leave and it's like so yeah, yeah we it's are like, it's like the landlord going Look at the state you've left this place. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said it's kind of like a battle for Battle Star Galactica. As long as it doesn't end like Battle Star Galactica, then oh. yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's uh, two novels, but they're not sequels to each other. They're both standalones, but oh, they're set in the same. So it's you can kind of the idea being you can jump in at, at any point. Um, I don't it's know. Really, how, yeah. I don't know how well that will work because obviously I don't want to repeat the same all the same background information in both of them. But yeah, also... I was going yeah, to ask about like continuity. Like, you no, know, is is one going to deliberately occur after the other? One is set like three hundred years after the other, so right, it will be different characters, but the same kind of situation. Oh, interesting. I suppose it works because with that many people and that sort of a length of time, you're just gonna. You're, it's the whole thing of the people write the books about the interesting bits. And all the yeah. boring bits in between kind of get skipped. And the people that are doing the boring stuff, well, no one really won't remembers them, do they? Apart from the really detailed historians. <laughs> well, ba basically, there's like 15 billion humans aboard a thousand arcs, uh, each the size of kind of Manhattan. Um, so there's like endless sort of scope for stories. Yeah. Um, and each of the arcs has its own personality and its own quirks and its own environment and its own kind of social social setup. And um, so, you know, you can write anything from a, a kind of murder mystery to a, a full on space opera. So it's. Uh... Do you. Sound like... Do you. Um, with a lot of sci fi, well, one of the end things now is using um actual science to sort of went with their sci-fi um films and stuff are you the sort of person within your writing that would use actual science or is it literally just you know what comes out of your mind and go with it um it's i mostly just completely make it up as i go along <laughs> i find as long as it sounds plausible and it doesn't 
directly contradict any of the kind of more obvious laws of physics, then Why not? you can kind of get away with it. So um, I, I'm not one. I, I don't see my job is to lecture. Uh, my job is to entertain. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to say anything that's kind of quite agrariously wrong just to uh, um, just to tell the story. So I I try very hard to keep it within the realms of plausibility. But if I want a faster than light drive, I'm going to have a faster than light drive. <laughs> so, you know, um, and I'll think up some outlandish way that it works. But you'll just have to cope with that. Whereas the rest of it, I would, you know, there will be no kind of... Um, I try not to have any, you know, solve every problem by reversing the polarity on the warp core. Or... <laughs> well, it's just like James S. A. Carvey when they were saying, like, you know, the Epstein drives in the Expanse. All they will say about it is, like, it works efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It comes <laughs> back to, to Arthur D. Clarke, doesn't it? The old, the, the old, any sufficiently advanced technology it's like magic. is indistinguishable from uh, magic. Yeah. And so you can just say it works because magic someone made it work <laughs> but you don't have an advanced degree in mathematics so i can't explain how <laughs> yeah and, and and in this new book there's there's literally a point where one of the characters says well at least that's how it's explained to me i've got no idea how it works <laughs> because um you know what uh, the way i think of it is that if you were writing a novel set in the modern day and your character left the house and got into the car to drive somewhere they wouldn't spend two pages explaining how the internal combustion engine worked yeah yeah true they would just get into the car and go so and if they get a text message you don't explain how the network and the phone works and the software was written exactly (laughs) maybe it was a super boring book (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's why i don't want to get into like you know the old classic cliche of someone going well as you know professor this drive works on me um (laughs) And it's just you know it's I, you know I'm not there to show off. I'm there just to kind of say yeah this this w- just take it as read this works and we'll we'll go with yeah. it because I was I lent a copy of Night's Dawn uh, by Peter Hamilton to a friend where I had a company used to work at and he loved it. He thought it was a great book, but as he put it at the end, I know how to build a starship because it's literally like like I think the first uh, quarter is like literally all about the ship, how it works, and everything, and it's really engrossing to read. But he's thinking afterwards, did I need that? <laughs> no, but it was a great read. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I don't want to run the the risk of doing a Moby Dick and having like endless <laughs> chapters about like how whales work. Yeah. Um, well, so. it's it's like George R. R. Martin when he sort of in his books he he writes a great length about a meal and the description of the meal and what's going on and then he'll get into a battle and then it'll be just like these people are dead this person's dead move on and i'm like what the fuck just happened <laughs> why why have you done that As you, you mentioned uh, earlier that how like kind of, you got the book in your head and you're just kind of essentially transcribing it is do you kind of plan it all out in advance or do you kind of prefer to be a bit more a seat of the pants approach i kind of like the creative bit so i'll have like a sketch map so you know not not an ordnance survey map but like a sketch map on the back of an envelope with you know maybe turn left at the church and um you know beware of the dog at 43 and (laughs) so um so i've kind of i know where it's going um but i'll leave plenty of space for the characters to take me off on 
unexpected directions because that kind of making it up as you go along is for me that's the appeal yeah. of the creative urge is like following it and seeing it and creating it as you go along whereas if i've kind of i've tried writing the entire plot out and it just feels like it just well, i don't know what it feels like it just it, right. it, all the spontaneity goes and it's just like work so, yeah, some some of the other writers we've talked to have said the same thing. You sort of yeah. you you have a character and you just see where they take you, basically. Well, there was that thing yeah. that Matt, um, we had a guy called Matthew on, who's a comics writer, and he was saying that he did a course with one of the editors from Marvel, and um, I actually flew out to New York and stuff. And the guy said that you know there's different there's two ways to write the book. One is to plan it all out and just you know sort of like flesh it out as you go along, and one is to kind of get a rough idea let the characters get going and see how scared you are by the end of it <laughs> yeah. a lot a lot of the time if if i'm stuck and i don't know where i'm going i'll just let the characters talk to each other and i'll write it out sort of like a almost like a radio script with just they said they said so i'm kind of having the conversation in real time and that will kind of lead me on to where the characters want to go next because i'm, I'm kind of just letting them talk in a way oh, okay. um and react and that kind of makes the decisions for me and i just go back and write in all the he said she said and some description but uh it's you know i'll very much let them talk and let their voices come which was why the embers of war series i found so much fun to write because all my other books up till that point had been written in the third person and this was the first books i'd written in the first person so it was much more like kind of acting or something that like i just sit down and sort of channel this voice and this character um and that just helped it flow much much more quickly and much more naturally for me so. uh, can you uh, i to my I, I haven't read them unfortunately but can you give me a, a brief, brief synopsis what 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 is the embers of war about um it is a it's set in the sort of aftermath of a large war between two human factions and it's very much kind of like if you think of star wars it's written like three years after return of the jedi that you know there's, there's been this huge war mm -hmm. the two sides have kind of gone back to being uneasy friends again um but you know there's there's disaffected ex-stormtroopers wandering around and rebels who were on Endor going, God, man, you don't know what it was like. <laughs> and um, it's kind of the the human kind of civilization is just kind of stitching itself uneasily back together again, but there's still rivalry there. But there's also um, the main characters are all, were all peripherally involved in the event that ended the war, which was this um, huge war crime where a sentient forest was destroyed um, in order to, to, to destroy the uh, conference of generals that was going on at mm -hmm. the heart of it. They just completely wiped out this billion-year-old biosphere of sentient trees. Um, and everyone was so shocked the war ended. Um so everyone in the book is kind of trying to make amends for what they did, for what they experienced, for for what they were what they caused. And one of these characters is one of the heavy cruisers that was involved in bombing the planet. And her name is Trouble Dog. She's a starship whose intelligence is partially based on cloned human brain cells. 
and but also there's some canine DNA in there in order to encourage lo- pack loyalty. Um, but because she's based on on kind of human brain cells, she accidentally starts to grow a conscience, which is pretty much the last thing you want in a warship. Well, yeah. Um, (laughs) as well as you know the capacity to disobey orders which is also you know a major flaw um in a weapon of war so she basically she resigns and she has her main weaponry stripped out and she goes off to join an organization called the house of reclamation which is sort of a red cross in space so if starships get into trouble or go missing they will send a ship out to look for them, or if a planet's in trouble, they'll send a send a ship to try and help. So she she joins that, and she gets paired with a captain who was on the opposite side of the war than she was, um, and some some and uh, various other sort of dysfunctional crew members, and they go off to uh, to do some rescues, but they discover a conspiracy along the way that. Um, will not only cause a new conflict but maybe there's some really really bad things lurking around in in hyperspace so uh, sold okay, i've just added them to my od- <laughs> i've just added them to my audacity list <laughs> so i will definitely be picking that up yeah. my audible list even you sorry. mentioned like in in your synopsis just then of like you know, uh, of a billion year old forest being wiped out as a war crime and then you also mentioned like you know in your forthcoming duology books that you know earth has been kind of um you know evicted from earth because of you know environmental crimes that seems kind of a recurring theme in your work is that intentional or just it wasn't intentional no i just um i kind of the sentient forest kind of is like um it gave me an excuse to kind of write a a kind of vietnam novel in some ways that some of the characters in there were from uh had uh, you know some of the marines who were on the ground when it was destroyed and stuff um and who fought among trees that whisper to you when you're trying to fight um so it, that that was that was fun with the um with the new books um that really just came that i was just like completely fucking super angry with politics and environmentalism and everything and i just thought yeah. right i i thought what would i hope would happen and I thought, well, some aliens will come and kick us off. And, you know... If we I won't thought, behave, then they'll make us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the adults will step in and, and, and slap us around the head and say, right, get on out of it. And so I thought, <laughs> well, actually, that's a really good kind of premise for a book. So so in Embers of War, there's no cigar chomping and hyper-intelligent monkeys with machine guns then? No. Oh, no. I like that bit. <laughs> I did thoroughly enjoy Akak Macak, I must I must admit, a few years back. I kind of came across it and um mislaid a couple of weeks <laughs> just binging through. <laughs> yeah. Although without wanting to give any spoilers in the Akak Macak books, there are kind of suggestions of a multiverse and so technically any of my books could take place in the same multiverses. So uh <laughs> I could, I, you know, I might, uh, because there are characters from my no- earlier novel, The Recollection, turn up in the macaque books. Um, <laughs> because so, you know, technically I could just have a monkey in the back, like run past in the background in any of my... <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> that would be hilarious. You Let's do it. Write a TV series about that one, see if you can get away with it. Oh, I'll see what the... Uh, it has to be in your contract. <laughs> there's... <laughs> uh we've got some more questions here we've got uh pale lady says will you ever write more about the real or sorry the reef 
the reef. Yeah. Um, I, I I made it. The reef is is um something that uh, started life in in a handful of short stories I wrote uh, way back when, um, which is basically runaway Earth, um, no, not Earth, NASA's solar system communication system gets so complicated it eats the internet and becomes self-aware um and it grows sort of these eruptions of nanotechnology at each of its transmitters that that become what's known as reefs and they contain all kinds of weirdness and and can do weird things to people who get too near to them and so forth um and i wrote a few stories set in that world where things was and then i wrote uh a novella that I self-published last year called Downdraft, which is is set in that world as well and follows the sort of Shakespearean decline of somebody who tries to uh, tries to use that technology <coughs> for their own good, but is also deathly afraid of it. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll return to that setting. There's there's plenty of sort of story scope in there, but as as soon as I kind of if I come up with an idea or something, you know. I never say never to these things. What your writing process? Um, when we, I think I've asked this to most of the writers we've had on. It, do you get to a point? Do 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 you get writer's block? Some of them said no. You know, it's my job. I can just par through. What about yourself? Um, um, I always used to say no, um, but then twenty twenty. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> uh, this, this last year has been absolute pig for trying to write because you know lockdowns and and brexits and trumps yeah. and <laughs> he's know. gone now he got yeeted he's gone well, he's i know gone. but we, we we've still got post-trump yeah disorder, Leg- you know? the legacy of trump <laughs> yeah shots, echoes and um boxes in strange corners full of things we don't want to mention <laughs> but also um i'm used to writing while my kids are at school and they haven't been at school for most of the year they've been you know, my my desk here is is in the in the living room, so it's right at the heart of the house. So, ah, uh, uh, right, okay. I, you know, I'm used to used to writing in silence, and uh, I'm writing with two teenagers stumping about the place, and it's <laughs> it's it's not quite the same. So, uh, yes, I don't uh, have kids, but my neighbours make sure I don't have silence during the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, how has like the past year been for you? And it sounds not good. <laughs> um. It's well, you know, there's all the um, all all the general stuff we're all going through, which is is yeah. you know we're going through the you know the worst uh, turbulence and loss of life since the Second World War. I think really this yeah. is I don't I don't think a lot of us have, have actually taken the time to realise what a traumatic period we're going through. And when we look back in, you know, there'll be documentary in ten years' time of the COVID, and we'll all, all be going bloody hell. We lived through that, <laughs> so. Um, you know, no wonder I was tired all the time and drinking wine in my pajamas at two a.m. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, there's, there's been all that. There's been some stuff on in 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 my personal life that's been quite quite difficult. So it's yeah, it's generally been a shit year, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully I will get my writing mojo back and actually get some time to get some serious work done because I've got a my editor at Titan is waiting for a whole massive edit on the the first of the two new books and then i've got to write the second one so mm. it's... Uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel the vaccines are getting out there and um schools should be reopening from mid-march fingers crossed 
So yeah, we're getting there, but yeah, it's been a bit of a slog for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, you know, I've just found it that uh, when I'm stressed I, and thinking about other things, I find it very difficult to kind of get into a creative mindset. So, what what's your what's your stress relief? What do you have? You know, like for us, we we play Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I'm a massive. I, I'm into all kinds of different games, so I keep myself busy. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> okay, wine. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I've started going out for walks. Um, you know, it's quite my sedentary lifestyle under lockdown became even more sedentary. So I've, I've started sort of going out for, you know, I do a lap of the village or something and that'll be four or 5,000 steps. So that'll make me feel better. And it's, uh, you know, that kind of lifts my mood if I'm feeling stressed just to get out and walk and, mm. and kind of get the air going and the blood pumping. So. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just thinking about because obviously you do write a lot of sci-fi stuff. When you've got downtime and you're watching TV, is sci-fi your first go-to, or do you have a completely different genre you like to get yourself lost in? Sorry, downtime. Did I not mention the teenagers? <laughs> <laughs> the teenagers are out of the picture. <laughs> or what do you watch with the teenagers then? It, it used to be okay when they were they were much younger and they'd go to bed like seven eight o'clock at night and I could just I would write all <laughs> evening, but now they kind of they don't settle down till twelve one o'clock. Um, you know they want to watch what they want to watch, so I, I tend to end up watching kind of things I would never dream of watching, like <laughs> Grey's Anatomy and oh, no. and so forth. So you know I I very rarely get control of the TV remote. Um, <laughs> And I, I did this evening, and I totally squandered it by watching the second Wonder Woman film. So, uh, uh, yeah, apparently it's not, been, it's <laughs> not meant not to be the best. It not seen it yet. No. It's not had good opinion. I've seen it, so you don't need to. All right, okay, um, not bad then. <laughs> have you been watching okay. The Expanse at all? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I keep meaning to watch The Expanse. I've watched the first episode, but I've been avidly reading the books as they came out. Yeah. Uh, the, um, yeah, it's... Yeah. The books and the TV series... They start the same, but diverge and like combine characters and everything. But they are both telling the same story in different ways, but both so, so good. Yeah. I'm on, I, I'm on the third of the way through the fifth season, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm not. I watched the newest one the other day, and it's one of these things, it's one of these shows that it's very rare you get a TV show that you're so addicted to. And then when you see, oh, there's only one left of the season, you're like, how I didn't even think it'd been that many. I don't think I'd seen that much. Yeah, I, I, as I say, I've watched the first episode twice now, and it's almost kind of note for note the same as the first book, uh, the opening of the first book. So I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of know this story, and um, so I, I, I need to stick with it a bit more and get into sort of build up a momentum with it because um, everything I've seen looks amazing. The effects look amazing. Um, the the cast look great you know the cast are kind of as i imagine them um and uh, uh you know it's uh, my faculty for names has vanished during this pandemic my brain <laughs> yeah. to, to oh, I'm, I'm horrible for names uh is it catherine avalas that yes bless you um <laughs> Yeah, the the actress who plays her is just amazing. I just think she's fantastic. Oh, yeah, she, so, she nails it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it, but I think what I'm going to do is binge watch it when I've read the ninth and final book. Ah, uh, right. See. Yeah, I, it's... I just have them in parallel. 
I've got a, like um I I keep on getting told about it and it's one of those things where I'm just like do I read the books or do I watch the series and I got so sort of into that moment where it's just like I've not done either so I'm just like yeah what, what do I do and stuff and I've got a the massive books, back yeah. the books in the series are quite different um they tell the same story but in very different ways the series it's like takes about first three episodes is just purely set up exhibition plot building establishing all the characters. And then the fourth episode happens. Mm. And it literally goes from calm, slowly building plot, increasing tension to holy shit, we're in the middle of an absolute space battle. And it's like, you know, from a engineering yeah. uh, and science perspective, it is probably the most realistic space battle I've ever oh, seen on a screen. Space ba- the space combat is awesome. I've yeah. watched the first two or three series. I've read the first three books. But just watching the, the space battles is much more visceral and immediate. It doesn't feel, you know, even, you know, Battlestar Galactica did quite well, but it doesn't feel floaty or sci-fi. It feels very immediate, like a war film, mm. because things actually happen, but there's no yeah. stupid whining or anything like that. It's like dull thuds, but it's got people very are being eviscerated. Yeah. grounded element to it, which it's is not very overplayed, rare. yeah. In very very many sci-fi shows, they do seem to go very over the top, very yeah. glitzy, very shiny. But this is very, yeah, like I say, it feels very real. When it's very rare to have a show like that, and that's why I think that's why I think the Expanse. I only started watching it about a year ago, and I just just flew through seasons one, two, three, and four like nothing. And it's ah, oh, just cannot wait to see what comes up next. This is why I'm very pleased to have Breck Eisner on board as yeah. director for the. Yeah. Um, Embers of War series because the whole aesthetic in that book is everything is scuffed and grimy and secondhand and it's been through ten yeah. rounds of combat and it looks it. So to have that kind of the fact he knows his space onions, having worked on the expanse Trust. like that, is is really really good. Yeah, when I read that uh, that he was on it, I literally just whooped and like, oh great, you've got the right director for the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But um, you say you obviously you're reading the books. Which other authors do you read that you, you know, not necessarily sci fi, but what, you know, the, the, the authors that you relax by reading because they give you a good enjoyment? Um, I keep coming back to Ian M. Banks all the time. Yeah. I, I've read some of his, his books sort of half a dozen times. Um, I've read pretty much everything Peter Hamilton's written, which was why it was so amazing to actually work with yeah, him. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, you know, when I when I first started out writing, I think I picked up the reality dysfunction um, before I'd even had a story published anywhere. And you know, to then to have written to the point where I'm actually like sat in his study with him writing a book together <laughs> was just like I'd pinch myself at one point. But um, yeah, so those characters, I I, I you know I, I write, uh, I love Aliette. Uh, de Bedard's, um Zaya series, uh, the novellas and so on. Uh, those are fantastic. I love the... Um, I've returned to the Ancillary Justice uh, trilogy two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't get into the first one of that. A friend bought it for me. I need to go back to it, I think. I, think I, ba- I bounced off it the first time I tried to read it. Um, yeah. I, I found it very difficult to get wrap my head around the kind of the way the, the ship was describing being in many places at once. Um, but then, but then I persisted and went back to it again because we co-won the BSFA award that year, the ancillary justice and Akak Macaque. 
So I thought, oh shit, I better better read it again. So I went back to it <laughs> and per- persisted and actually really loved the entire trilogy. It's, it's one of the best trilogies of, of recent times. I think it should should be a classic. Um, but yeah, there's there's just so many. There's so much good sci-fi around at the moment. You know, Martha Wells's um, Murderbot Diaries. I'm working my way through those at the moment, and and they are great. They're so much fun. Um, have you read any of Pierce Brown's The Red Rising trilogy at all? No, I have not yet. It is really good. My my boss got me onto it, and I I wasn't really that bothered. Um, and I, when I first started, I was like, it starts off in a kind of battle royale type, sort of Hunger Games type thing. But the guy, the way he re- writes it, it sort of it just progresses, and you can see him evolving with every book to the point where it gets onto these full scale battle uh on planets and you know he's describing all the different mechs and the different uh the fighters and the spaceships and stuff and it's so good the characters are so well written as well it's a really good really really good trilogy well there's five books at the minute because it's on the second trilogy but uh so good so good and the guy writes a book a month uh, a year even sorry <laughs> it's just he's like you have to be honest yours were written uh a year apart weren't you your trilogy was written uh uh 18 19 and 20 wasn't it well, that was when it was published, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, I think I wrote Embers 2016 to 2017. Um, and then it went around, um, then then it, w- it was edited by a few people and then kind of picked up by Titan. And then I, you know, at that point I was writing the second one. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, w- I was just about to start the third one when Embers came out in 2018. Right. And it came out to sort of really good reviews, and I suddenly got the fear. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. every, everyone was going, oh, this is so brilliant, this is so brilliant. And I was like, the second one I'd just written really quickly, and it was a lot of fun, um, and I really enjoyed it and put a load into it. Because there was no expectation, because the first one hadn't come out. But the third one, everyone was going, and I was like, Oh shit! People really like this. One. <laughs> I'm gonna have to stick the landing with the third one. Oh, so I, felt, I, I did feel some pressure with the third one to actually, you know, get it right and to to live up to to what had gone before. But um... where do you stand on the classics like June, for example? Obviously, with the the film coming out at some point in the near future. Um, I, did you ever get into those? I read Dune when I was at school, so probably about. 15 16 um and i remember i quite enjoyed it but i don't remember much about it um apart from i remember the david lynch film which you know yeah yeah <laughs> you can't forget something like that um, so yeah you know i was never i remember i read heinlein when i was 12 kind of read uh, have space suit will travel and and books like that which i was very harsh mistress never read that one yeah i've read that one um i kind of my teenage years i was very into larry niven his early stuff like ring world and and, uh football have you ever read football yes i I love that to bits but lots of people go what (laughs) yeah i i kind of I, i i loved all his his books and then i kind of started sort of went to university and and our politics diverged quite yeah. radically um and that i started to see like things in in footfall and uh was it lucifer's hammer was just like okay this is where we part ways and <laughs> um 
you know, I kind of, which is, which is a shame, but, um, you know, and I, reading back some of the stuff in, and I thought about giving Ringworld to, to my daughter and then went back and read it and thought, no, I ain't doing that. Um, because it's, it's, a, you know, the, the heart of the book, the idea and, and the adventure and everything is great and all of that, but the, the kind of, the depiction of women in it is just atrocious. And it's, you know, it's not something that occurred to me when I was a teenager reading it, but now in these slightly maybe more enlightened times, it's just like, okay, so there's a 200-year-old man with a 20-year-old girl mm. locked up in a spaceship and, you know, and then they lose her because she runs off with a muscly man and then they meet a 1,000-year-old whore um, and she helps them escape and it's just like... Yeah. Larry. Yeah. Larry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of it's like this is like the stainless steel rap books as well. They've um you they've know they've got age well. Yeah, uh, I, I read them I read them as a teenager, loved them. Now it's just Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I absolutely adored them and but then Going, I, I went back to them to write a thing for SFX about their book club, about the first one, and reread a couple. Because you know, I used to read like two of them in a day because they're really thin. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it was just like some of them it verges on like Benny Hill, <laughs> and it's mm, so cringy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not like a, a, a woke campaigner or anything, but at the same time, you know, some basic bloody respect for people isn't isn't too much to ask. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I've watched Airwolf. Uh, sorry, I watched. I loved Airwolf as a kid, and then I rewatched it a few years ago, oh. and it was just painful. Like, oh, no, I can't physically watch this. We're just ruining my childhood because, like, like as a kid, you call a helicopter with guns that pops out. What's cooler than that? Now it's just like. No, yeah, I mean, you're not really thinking much of the things when you're a kid, are you? You're just sort of, you know, yeah. You're yeah. not thinking anything deeper than big guns coming out of a out of a helicopter. Helicopter, <laughs> helicopter with turbo boost. What more do you want? <laughs> but yeah, it's um. Oh man, what's the um? So, w- 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 it was books that sort of got you into sci-fi. Was was it film? I'm, you know, it was a bit of both. It it was my earliest memories are like in the early seventies, so sort of seventy three, seventy four, watching the original Star Trek and old black and white TV. Wow! Um, so I, I was about four, four, five years old, maybe, probably younger. Um, and incidentally, I was gutted when we got color TV, and I realised that Captain Kirk's shirt was yellow and not blue. <laughs> Because on black and white they all look the same colour, so I yeah. assumed they were all blue. And I had a pair of pajamas that had a, that kind of looked a bit Star Trekky because they had little insignia that were blue. And then I was totally gutted that I was a science officer and not a captain. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was kind of into that, and I, I had a, a really old book called "You Will Go to the Moon," oh, okay, which I think was published in the sixties. I, I did find it on Google a few years ago. Um, and it's basically, you know, when you grow up, this is the space rocket you will take to orbit. This is the this is the <laughs> ship you will use to cruise. You know, I've heard of this book. Yeah, they like there's a ping pong table and, and by you... Ira M. Freeman and May Freeman. It's got a, ah. it's got a kid with a, a red shirt looking at the moon. Yeah, 
but yeah. that was that was fantastic the pictures are amazing they're just absolutely fantastic paintings of kind of proper von brown golden age kind of this is wow but it was written like you will go to the moon there was no messing about it's like not you know one day you might go no it's you will go to the moon i was like yeah I'm up and then and then, it's, then is it like it shows like how everyday life would be on the moon as well yeah, and yeah i do remember this it's a, how you can it was like a father and a son and like how far they can jump yeah. and the the space suits with the kind of uh, ridges on the arms. <laughs> and danger, Will Robinson! Danger. I just remember being some book in my school library. I remember looking at it, and I was like, "I was like, this is some crazy stuff. This is some proper insane stuff." But then, obviously, thinking about it, back in the sixties, you know, back before the optimism, moon, yeah, back before space travel was an actual thing, that was it. People were like, "Well, hang on, this is what we would do." But it's like, well, hang on. But can you do it? It's like. Who cares? We're never going to go to the moon, and then you can on a sound stage in Hollywood. <laughs> the sound stage in Hollywood never happened. No, Hollywood I mean, is a conspiracy theory; <laughs> doesn't exist. Yeah. All Hollywood films are actually shot on the moon. <laughs> oh, no, because I'm just like watching um, For All Mankind on Apple TV, which is quite good because that's an alternate history one. Because the second series is coming up in well next week, I think. But that's like a what if the Russians got to the moon first, so the so Apollo and stuff doesn't die out, it gets pushed further and harder, and that's quite interesting because as you're saying, you look back and it, it embodies that 50s, 60s sort of politics, which occasionally makes you go a little tiny bit in the way they treat other people. But it's also kind of cool seeing this idea of them pushing things harder and faster instead of just going, ah, oh, screw it, we did it, we did it, we we can give up now. <laughs> What are you? What are your views on the on the new Star Trek? On on well, actually, there's two things. There's Below Decks, which is hilarious, and then there's obviously oh, yeah. Disco- Discovery. And Picard, excuse me, thank you very much. Uh, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing Picard oh. yet. Yeah. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed Picard basically because I, you know, I I would watch um, Patrick Stewart read out his shopping list for an hour he's, you know, he's, he's, he's just fantastic uh, some of it was a bit insane and and like the stuff with the borg and you know but it was it was worth the price for admission to spoiler alert see a borg cube crash into the sea so um you know you know that was fun and but at the end of the day, I, you know, I don't feel any need to go back and rewatch it. But it was just like a nice kind of because I watched TNG when it came out and was quite enjoyed it. So it was, it was kind of an, a nostalgia thing there. Um, I haven't seen Below Decks, but it seems to be covering a lot of ground that maybe the Orville has already covered. It's it's actually it's, I think it's better. I like the Orville as well. Yeah, it's. It's like it's, it's like Final Space meets the Next Generation. I thought that I thought it's got it's got the Final Space sort of edge to it, but it's got that sort of episodic um, Next Generation uh, sort of feel to it. I think, and that, that's annoying me now because I really want to see the new series of Final Space, but there ain't a release date for it yet. No, <laughs> but, but uh, Discovery, I've I've really been enjoying. Um, mm. The first season, I got very impatient with all the Klingon bits. Yeah, the Klingon stuff was just annoying, and the subtitles, and they were, (laughs) and they just looked stupid. But um, 
yeah, apart from that, it was yeah. I I just thought it was batshit insane. All the stuff with the uh, the mirror universe and and the, <laughs> Giorgio is just you know I, I you know I just want to see a series about her. I mean, screw the rest of them. Is but, it the, the Empress of Mankind? Well, yeah. Thirteen ones come. But the the second season was just even more insane. But I loved uh, Pike as a character. It was great oh, to God. see him. Yeah, well, they've yeah, got their a, a character for a rejected pilot like 60 years ago helms his own series and that was just fantastic um and i like the fact each series they have a different captain um and obviously at the end of this series that's just gone i won't spoil it but there is obviously setting yeah so that it kind of gives a new character to it each time that there's a, a new captain for each um for each series I, I like the way they kind of just kind of relocated the inter- from from before the original series to 900 years later it's just like yeah whatever let's go <laughs> none of them went actually um, do you mind if i stay uh so that's kind of fun um and yeah it's just as i say it's not not a series i would re-watch but it's a series i i watch out you know avidly as each episode comes out each week just to see how crazy it's going to be <laughs> yeah, I mean- quite a lot with Discovery going that far ahead in the future because then they're kind of writing themselves out of a corner because obviously doing that that gap between you know, where they started and leading to the beginning of what was the original series that's yeah. not a great time frame especially if like you know something works well a TV company will want it to go for years and years and uh, they go um, right so how do we do this uh, should we go 900 years in the future yeah okay let's do that and but they, it, they kind of They've written themselves into the same gap, though, haven't they? Because they're they're spinning off Pike yeah. and Number One and Spock into their own. Okay. But that has but the it, advantage that we've got so many things for them to work around, but we've also got a new spin on it. But then again, you see, we've already had technically a sequel slash reboot with the 2009 Star Trek film. Why not just do it again, really? Because, you know, um, the card, which is kind of following it on from obviously next generation so it's keeping to that continuity but then you know what's to say what's to say stop it from going right okay well, actually we'll have our own continuity for this section of star trek other, I, other than the entire earth popping out of orbit because of all the fanboys exploding <laughs> i kind of was getting the impression maybe uh, discovery was kind of moving towards picard in that these weird ai aliens from the future might be something they might run up against in the with the especially with the the downloaded sphere data on the ship i thought yeah i was kind of getting the the kind of uh, the vibes maybe the two series were going to converge yeah, yeah. um yeah, they yeah. still got that issue with one of the short treks that they need to deal with as well don't yeah. they yeah but, oh sorry i was just going to say but i i was really disappointed when i i found out that discovery was going to be a prequel and then the fact they've changed it to a sequel is just, just like, ah, oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> it's just like, f- because for a long time, like TNG and, and you know, and Voyager, and then we never got any further. So it, it was always looking back. So uh. That's something you might like about Lower Decks is it's, it's sitting in the space buff between Nemesis and Picard. And if you get to the end of the first season, no, without without doing any spoilers, it does tie itself in a bit better. 
for the yeah, second yeah. series. For it I, to be I, digging out stuff as well as having some very good fourth wall callbacks in places. I did like the way in Discovery they sneakily got the the reboot films into continuity. Yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah. That was that that was unexplained. You know, they coexist. That was really good. So, yeah. did you did you get a little tear in your eyes with the um scene with with the um the uh, the scene with uh, Navari or whatever it's called, Navarre and her, and her learning about Spock? Yeah, that was uh, a nice little nice little callback. I thought. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of struggled with uh, Discovery the first season until about, about about seven or eight episodes in, when Stamets became basically a space Timothy Leary, a space hippie. Yeah. At that point, I thought, fuck it, yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> and mostly because I really begrudged Michelle Yeo as Giorgio being punched out with one with a with a single strike, because this is the this actress. Michelle Yeoh is the only person to have out Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. And <laughs> she just felt so incredibly underused. Now, she came back later on and she was kicking ass. At that point, you go, okay, you're forgiven. I'd watch a bit more now. <laughs> I, I think it was in the first season where it was like, yeah, as you say, Stamets was like, I, I have engineered a giant tardigrade in order that I can now mentally pilot us through a mushroom network that extends everywhere in space. And I was like, these guys weren't sober when they were writing this, were they? <laughs> <laughs> well, Stamets is basically Tim Leary on acid. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a party in Hollywood and they were passing around the magic mushrooms and saying, wouldn't it be great if these could like take you anywhere? What are you doing Monday? I'm writing a new Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a, a talk at Burning Man. So no, but basically, I was it's one talk where they were saying that the mushroom there was this thing called the mushroom intelligence, which had travelled to Earth on a meteorite, and it was trying to communicate with us. At that not... point, I was going, yes. Now step away from the crazy man slowly. Have you not heard the? Have you not heard the theory that the reason we, um, you know, our uh, our uh, sapien uh, ancestors evolved into humans was because they ate magic mushrooms? Yes. So you basically got they got they got fucking high and went, dude, what if I could talk? <laughs> Holy shit, I'm talking, and then just sort of became humans. That's just like wow, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> Woke up after a really good trip to find out yeah. they made the first wheel. Yeah. Well, shit, that seemed like a really good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe if we shave the corners off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard the same theory, but attached to um, to hemp. All right, much, okay. Which was much more widespread that they, they would kind of burn it in their campfires and, and get kind of mellowed out and kind of sit there and look at the stars and go try, i need to describe what i'm thinking to the people around me so yeah see i don't know about weed and stuff because you'd be sitting there like you're just sort of getting the munchies you know it'd be like dry <laughs> dried meat you won't be doing very much and there'll be no sort of kind of evolving things because you'd be thinking about stuff too a bit too much that's where the mushrooms came in yeah that's where the mushrooms... <laughs> do we know that's super like, psyched right I don't now care. i've got the munchies <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I still find it <laughs> mind blowing that mushrooms are more closely related to us than they are to plants. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! Uh, no hey, wonder I don't like eating mushrooms. <laughs> Cannibalism. Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on a on a bit of a side, no, it's not really sci-fi. Um, but I've been watching um Snowpiercer on Netflix, and actually, oh, yeah, no, I appreciate. It. I used to have a film, and it's not very good with um Chris Evans in it. I'm not watched that, and it's a graphic novel. But the the series, which was originally on, um, uh, can't remember the name of the the uh, the. The network, but it's now on Netflix, and they've just they've just had the first uh, first episode of the second series with Sean Bean in it, so it's a good for me, um, and it's awesome. He survived the whole episode. Yeah, he did survive the whole episode, but it's just like it's got um, but it, it's kind of it's got a very Battlestar Galactica feel to it. You know, you know, where they're in the, these confined spaces. There's this sort of kind of geopolitics sort of uh angle going on with different parts of the the different parts of the train that they're on and yeah i've, I've really enjoyed it definitely worth a watch i think the thing with snowpiercer was that when i read the graphic novel years ago i always pictured that it should be very serialized when they done the film don't be wrong the film was okay but it just didn't have that same feeling whereas a tv show you get time to learn and explore you get to learn about the different characters different carriages the classes, and I think that's why <laughs> straight away the first season I thought I watched pretty much from beginning to end. I think in the same day I just couldn't couldn't stop. And um, I, I've got to watch. I've got to start watching season two. But uh, there's only one episode yeah. at the minute. The second episode's tomorrow. But it's just it it it, do, it is really good, you know. And like I said, it had that sort of Battlestar Galactica feel to it, where you know it's. It's it's a bit more than just space combat, and you know it's more than just them being on a train. There's a lot more going on, and it's you know, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with it. You know, I really enjoyed it. I guess I also talk about um, TV series that are coming on at the moment. They're going on. Um, One Division, obviously oh, Marvel's yes. um, first proper TV series on Disney Plus, and episode four. Not saying anything about it, but episode four just wow, that just really did mess my mind up. That was, I was so. That was so good. It was such a good episode. And just the the last, like one of the last shots when you just go, oh my God, I was not expecting that kind of thing. It's like... I've not seen it yet. Um, all I know uh, about it is there's a callback to Ant-Man when the, um, he's trying to, he wants to learn the card trick. And yes. uh, and he, he actually obviously got taught the card trick, which um, I've seen when I was on TikTok. Yeah. But uh, There's a couple callbacks um yeah, yeah definitely right. callbacks to ant-man uh callbacks to uh end yeah, yeah. what what um, are what are your views on 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 marvel and dc and films like that um gareth what are, what are your views on superhero films um i really enjoyed the marvel ones um i went to see iron man in the cinema and just thought holy shit, this is the best superhero movie I have ever seen. Yep. Um, and then I think I kind of, for various reasons, missed out the rest. And then the next one I saw was the first Avengers movie. And it was just, I sat there in the cinema just with a grin all over my face for the entire <laughs> thing because it was exactly what I kind of felt watching, uh, sorry, reading Avengers comics when I was like nine years old. Was it? It was colourful. It was bright. There were these characters that you know, and it was just, it was just 
it was everything I wanted. Whereas I kind of I was jaded from like all the gritty, rainy Batman films, and it was mm. just like. Mm. Um, but suddenly it was it was what I remembered of comics was it was colourful it you know there was throwbacks to other films and crossovers and that's what I remember from reading the comics but it was always have like see Hulk number five seventeen Stan in the bottom of a panel yeah. for references and you had to go and look up that Stan the man yeah and it was it it just felt like the Marvel comics I remembered as a kid that they were all interconnected and it was a team up and and it was brilliant I kind of and then the kids got slightly older and I started taking them to see them so it became like a family thing and you know they 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 fell in love with um Spider-Man from um Civil War when he just yeah, was like a yeah, yeah. bit like Civil yeah. War they argued all the way home about who he which of them he was going to marry and <laughs> This is how I'm testing if any of them are watching this live because I'm going to get an indignant shout from upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, uh... Oh, God, that's just so embarrassing. <laughs> you have obviously seen Avengers Endgame then, haven't you? Yeah. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of ruined films for me for, after that. It's just... Uh... Yeah, it was literally... I went, I, It's the only film I have gone to see on my own. I have never gone to see a film of my own. It's always been with a group of people and people. And I just went, nobody wants to go with me. I'm seeing this film. I went on my own. And I was just like, man, absolutely. You I, I, friends if there's no one who wants to go and see Avengers with you. No, it was just, I, I, I can't remember what was, was going on. But basically everybody, like all my friends are sort of married, have kids, things like this. So there was no, I want to see this today. There was like, sorry, man, can't do it. So it's like, right, well, I'm just going on my own then, aren't I? And, uh, Screw you guys. I'll go and have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> But I was just. But I, yeah. I, I came out of that thinking, no film is ever going to be that epic ever again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that Marvel in general just have knocked it out of the park. There's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's. If you think about what they've achieved in the space of ten years, they released a seventeen film epic. Twenty two. No, sorry, twenty two. Twenty two. No other license or property has ever achieved that yeah. other than probably james bond but even then that is not, not interconnected in yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's not interconnected either that's just yeah. a series of one-off adventures yeah. especially when you consider they started off with there's no way in hell it's going to work they've got a wash up for an act for a lead actor to that's like the best superhero film ever to yeah. holy crap do we, what do we do with our lives after the last 10 years yeah. <laughs> the only that's... other film universe i'd say that's probably gone on quite a long time has kept connected is kevin smith's um, viewer skewed <laughs> yeah his last film wasn't the best though um, oh yeah oh, which which one was that one jan silent bob reboot was slightly as, as much, i wanted to, i wanted to love it but i just couldn't it was just yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 when we need him yeah. <laughs> I, I love jan silent bob strike back like yeah. the breaking of the fourth wall and the the film parodies that you know the goodwill hunting to hunting season kind of <laughs> yeah, applesauce bitch yeah <laughs> but then the jay and silent bob reboot it was ooh, i hate to say it but it was one of the most self-indulgent films yeah, i've ever watched exactly. in my life yeah, yeah. he made no secret that that was self-indulgent it was yeah. even said he literally started a phone call going hi job in my film i had a heart attack you can't say no it's like um okay yeah. then i'll it was just yeah. that Silent Bob was too front and centre and it's just like you know he's always just been a periphery character who sort of pops in now and again he was just too 
I don't know, even his facial expressions were just like all over the place all the time. And it was just like, I, I want my Silent Bob to be silent and kind of in the background. And it was just sort of a bit odd. And like I said, it was just cameo after cameo after cameo. And it was just so, so gratuitous. And I was just like, I want to love this because I love Kevin Smith. But I, I'm just not, it. you know, I, I'm it, watching it, it, but it's not really doing much for me. It felt like a school reunion where they yeah. kind of redo the school play many years later and it yeah everyone looks older and uncomfortable yeah his daughter's and, a really good actress i think she she yes. yeah yeah she was the best thing in the film i yeah, think yeah um and i think she's if she can kind of cut herself free from her dad she she would probably have a good career going <laughs> <laughs> we're lucky good josh isn't here <laughs> i mean i don't get me wrong i i've i've really enjoyed all kevin smith's films i've got most of them on dvd i've really enjoyed them but it's kind of you know i, I feel really bad for jason muse because in jay and silent bob strike back he carried that film he was amazing comic talent yeah and obviously with his personal problems he's kind of lost that kind of comic timing and, and, and yeah. that edge and I I always thought that Jason Muse was going to be the kind of actor who was going to I don't know, I always thought he'd be like the breakout actor and at some point he'll be casting like some bigger productions, he was going to be like the yeah. guy who you go to for like for certain things, he'd be the quirky character who'd be the, the guy that you remember when you come out of the cinema But um, He's like a heroin like, addict wasn't he? He was like, you know He was, he was, he was apparently Doing something like you know, like a thousand dollars of drugs a day or something. Well, apparently, in, apparently in Dogma, he was office. He was office box most of the time and stuff, and he had to be sort of you know reined in. But, um, yeah, basically, um, Kendrick had to just give him a talking to, and essentially, as I understand it, um, Jason Sandstrom back, back was um, a promise that uh, Kevin Smith made to Jason Music. You get yourself straight, get yourself sorted out. And I will make another Jay and Silent Bob film. Yeah. And basically, as well, like Kevin Smith's own kind of heart attack, he just said, right, we're well, going to do this. Jason Mewes got himself straight and said, right, okay, we're making this film now. Mm. So, I mean, on one hand, yeah, it's like really, you know, um, a fantastic gesture by uh, Kevin Smith to, to do what he did and deliver on the promise. But the other hand, it wasn't the best film, maybe. I mean, for me personally, Dogma was like the best Kevin Smith film. No, yes. no. So, just like, it was a really, t- clerks, a really tight story. Don't, don't get me wrong, Dogma is really good. But um, and Joe, you know I'm I'm surprised I'm going to say this. I actually agree with Matt. I think Mallrats is the Mallrats is for me. Mallrats is just Kevin Smith, me, the epitome I, of Kevin I Smith. I saw that face. I saw it Trust me, no one's more shot than I am. But I agree with Matt Geary. But <laughs> is definitely the best Kevin Smith film. It is just a classic. Yeah. And come on, just even if just you take the scene with Stan Lee, that's that oh, is yeah. just gold. yeah, that's amazing. So good. For me, it's a toss-up between More Rats and Chasing Amy. Oh, Chasing Amy, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the new Kevin Smith film. It was kind of fun to see where all the the characters from all these films were in, you know, twenty years later or whatever. And you know, you got to see the characters from Chasing Amy had, had weren't together, but they decided to raise a kid together, and and you know, so there was some closure, some kind of fan service closure there. But the the actual film itself, it was just like it felt 
for a director who has done films like Chasing Amy and More Rats and stuff, it felt cobbled together. Yeah. So. Yeah. There is a sequel to More Rats happening as well. well I know that he has yeah. written. But there's, there's Clerks Three as well. He, he's going on yeah. about his Clerks Three script at the yeah. minute. I don't, I don't know about Clerks Three. I'm not too sure you need a third Clerks. But, but wasn't the Mole Rats? Wasn't Mole Rats meant to be a series? Wasn't meant to be a series for the Mole Rats? And then. I think they were going to do something of a series, but then I think they decided that a film was was obviously better because I think More Rats was originally envisioned as like the yeah it's like a TV spin off. I think it was going to be sort of like the, just taking some of the characters. It was going to be its own little thing. But Joe, you know mm. if if the second More Rats film is really good and they they take it a bit more in a a straight direction, they actually go like this is not a cameo fest. This is something that we're going to actually do story driven we're actually gonna you know really focus on the characters bring back you know bring back the elements that probably have been missing from like more recent kevin smith films and i reckon Morats Morats 2 or whatever he's gonna call it i reckon it could be a fantastic movie but, i just don't uh, i just hope he doesn't overdo it because it's like you've got these you got these films, and for me, like you know, like Mallrats and stuff, is my teenage year. Those films growing up were, you know, were integral to my my teenage. Like I would just quote Mallrats, you know, when, you know, when I was a teenager, it was just my film. That was like it was my personal film, and I'm worried that if they start carrying on like the new reboot, and he starts killing them because he wants to sort of just get as many out before he you know, pops his clogs or whatever, that it might sort of taint some of the older ones. Um, I don't feel, I think, I think with Jane Silent Bob Reaper, I think that was his, his point of saying, well, look, if I am going to make only one more film, I want to just do a, basically an absolute bonkers movie. I mean, cause he's done that now. He's like, right, actually, well, maybe I want to make something that's a little bit more, a little bit more grounded, a little bit more like sustainable. And I think that's where more rats, and potentially, if, if he does actually make Clerks 3, I reckon that's when them two mm. are going to really make big effect. And I reckon, I, I don't know, I, I, it sounds bad. I'm not too interested in a Clerks 3, because I think Clerks 2 was good, but I don't think it really needed to have Expanse on that side of it. But more Rats, I always thought, would work with a sequel. So, I, th- I think the other thing is, all his recent films have been the last film in that series he will ever make so mm. you know James Silent Bob Strike Back was the last one and then Clerks 2 was the last one and then yeah. James Silent Bob reboot the but, and yeah it's yeah but yeah. it's there's even an episode of Big Bang Theory when he's on it he, like um Penny's apparently auditioning for one of his film roles he goes hey I've got this really great film it's something completely new something I've never done before it's called Clerks Free it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he knows he knows how to take the mick out of himself that's one thing you can never take away from yeah, him well, he's always been like that but i think he, he's quite insecure i think you know he kind of reminds me of our own mike orvis slightly there's definitely a sort of lots of <laughs> easy to take the piss out of himself but there's definitely an insecurity in there um that you know maybe he's not as popular as he should be um uh- you don't take anything away from my Michael. He's a lovely fan. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I, I, I'm going to go down. I'm going to open up this can of worms simply because we've asked every single person who's been on this podcast since, what are your views on the new Star Wars films? Wow. <laughs> first, first of all, actually, what's your view? Of, did, did, you, did, you, did you like Rogue One? No. Oh, no! Yeah. 
Oh man, I love. That I watched stuff. it in the cinema and I quite enjoyed it, but I have absolutely no desire to watch it again. Oh. It, it, the characters, <laughs> I really didn't kind of, you know, I've seen a lot of people people making. I've seen a lot of people making good arguments why it's the best, but for me, it was just it was the Magnificent Seven again, and it kind of I didn't care about any of the characters. You make me sad, Gareth. You make me very sad. I much, and this is probably going to get me death threats, but I much preferred Solo. Solo was good. Completely, completely underrated. Completely for me, Solo was what the original trilogy of Star Wars was in that it was fun. It wasn't kind of earnest and kind of trying to. It it was just it was a fun romp, and that's what Star Wars is to me. It's yeah. a fun romp, and I think the trouble with a lot of um, franchises is I see this in Doctor Who as well, is that we enjoy them as kids as fun romps, but then as we mature, we expect the franchise yeah. to mature and tell more and more grown up stories. But that's not what the franchise was. The franchise was a fun film that kids and adults could enjoy. Um, and we want, now we're older and our tastes have changed, we want darker, grittier, more adult stories. But that's kind of losing what we loved about the original. Um, and that's why I enjoyed Solo, because it was just, you know, it was daft, but it was fun. I could just kind of take my brain, put my brain into neutral and watch it. And there's, Han and there's Chewie and oh there's Lando and oh this is how he got this is how he got the Millennium Vulcan that's what the Castle Run is it was yay and I, so you know for what it was I just enjoyed it the same way as I enjoyed Episode Four and New Hope it was a fun romp mm. Um, mm. and I think it it was really enjoyable and I think if if all the films were released in a different order and the original trilogy was like the third trilogy people would be going. Mm, well the dialogue's not so good the story's just crazy they just go into the death star and come out again and it's like what's that about um darth vader is what <laughs> um, so um, yeah I, I, so i i didn't particularly like the uh the prequels i thought, thought they were way too po-faced and everything interesting in them happened off screen like the whole uh, you know Dooku taking Anakin under his wing and everything was hinted at. Mm. And that would have been, you know, that's what the movie should have been about. Uh, it was Anakin, instead of like all the flipping Senate meetings and trading, it should have been like the, the corruption of Anakin much more front and center yeah. rather than just being, whoa, surprise at the end. Um, so, yeah, and and the whole love story of Padme and I just didn't give a crap about any of that. So it was, yeah, I kind of wanted it to be more fun and more kind of concentrating on on Anakin's deterioration. Um, and so, but these third trilogy, I liked the first one. You know, when I I sat down in the cinema to watch it and. I think I actually started crying when when the door went up and there was Leia. Yeah, yeah. and I was just like burst into tears with Leia speaking. I was going, oh, and the kids were going, "Oh, Dad." Gladstone. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, 
they killed off Han Solo and I kind of basically lost interest. So, and and it was like, oh, it's a new big Death Star. We have to go in and fly around it a lot and shoot the secret weakness chamber again. You think they would have learned to stop including that? Um, <laughs> um, Who was the architect on this thing? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I, that was one of the, the good points about uh, Rogue One. They did um, give a reason why he'd, the architect had actually consciously included a, a secret weakness because he was working against his will but yeah. um doesn't explain like uh but then the other the other ones i thought the what was the middle one called last jedi the last jedi um i thought that was gorgeously shot there are some scenes like when luke is facing all the 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 atat walkers yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, with the, uh, the sun behind them and he's just standing amazing shot and that whole film is full of amazingly beautiful shots but the yeah um... <laughs> thank you <laughs> i feel the, the same plot way was just like, oh, you can do that um and then the third one was just i enjoyed sitting in a cinema i enjoyed it yep. but coming out of the cinema afterwards i thought mm, because they had three films to establish the character, the new characters, mm-hmm. and the original characters were established in three films, and we fell in love with them. But they spent after the three films, I didn't feel the new characters had had, had that establishment and no. hadn't kind of found a way to get in. And and what the fuck is that about riding horses across Star Destroyer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so to answer your question, I enjoyed them. But personally, in my own head canon, there is only the original trilogy. How about the Mandalorian? Have you? How have you found the Mandalorian? I've I've not watched it yet. I don't have. Oh, it's, it's really good. Really, really. If you ever I've get a chance, it's really I've heard good things. Yeah, yeah, based on your opinions of like the, the recent films. Yeah, you, I think you'll really dig the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's really good parts. Yeah, it, it sounds like my cup of tea. Yeah, well, yeah. I think it will be one hundred percent your cup of tea. It's really both, good. Both the cinematography and the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, shifting to a different one, just because it's kind of in the news at the moment on the geek side of things. Did you ever watch Babylon Five back in the nineties? I did. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously they've done a new transfer on HBO Max. Yeah. This last week. Um, how did, how did you feel about that? Did you enjoy it? What I loved about Babylon 5, because I was kind of, I was in the process of, of not watching DS9 at the time. And um, I tried a few times. And I think I watched an episode of DS9, an episode of um, Babylon 5, and got the muddle up. <laughs> oh! So I was, I was kind of, I was watching it and going, well, where are all the characters that were on last week? Um, <laughs> But what I really enjoyed about Babylon 5, because I kind of really started to get into it midway through the first season, was the arc. And there was like yeah. forward flashes and uh, flashbacks and prophecies. And it was like, I was, it was so rare in those days because I was used to like TNG, which had a, the magic reset button at the end of every week. Um you know, oh, there's a monster. Everything has changed. Oh, we've reversed the polarity. Everything's fine. Um, <laughs> and there was very little kind of there was very little character development because everyone was the same at the beginning of every episode. So this was kind of 
I could see it was going somewhere. So I stuck with it through all the seasons and got really excited about it. But there was some bloody awful episodes along the way. Yeah, that's fair. So, so I was more interested in the arc than the individual episodes. Yeah, you... I think I think if you kind of concentrate on like the primary arc episode, it's a much, much tighter story. It was the same with the X-Files. There was yeah. kind of an arc there, but if it was an episode where it, that wasn't anything to do with the arc, I got a bit bored. So, you know, and there, yeah. there were episodes where the in Babylon 5 where the, the Doctor goes off on a journey of self-discovery, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's, kind of, uh, it's like it's yeah. like uh, the walking dead i had zero interest in like half of the season because it's just like this is no interest this is not doing what i need it to do at the start the middle and the end is generally what i need stick those three episodes together and i'm done i don't need the rest of it it, it was like a novel where they say when you're writing a novel jettison any scene that doesn't like move the plot forward yeah and so there was a plot but there were lots of episodes that didn't move the plot forward well i think, I think at the time then i mean like I think in many ways Babylon Five redefined our approach to television and like what what is, what, what is capable in that medium. I mean, Absolutely. before Babylon Five, we didn't really have like you no know, a event series which had a beginning, a middle, and and end. Everything yeah. was um, designed for syndication, wasn't it? Especially in America, yeah, that they would just get blobbed wherever by whichever network needed to blob it in at whichever time. And, and I think in many ways as well, there will be kind of be um, Jim Michael Straczynski was beholden to. Uh, what had all gone before so namely a season of a tv show would have 20 episodes no matter whether the story could be told in 15 episodes 25 episodes or 10 episodes you know it's a 20 episode season you've got that you will write your story in 20 episodes and got it so there would be filler at the time it was it was huge i remember i think season three um before any of the big space battles but there was one where two earth destroyers come to take severed dreams i think yes yeah something like that and there's one point where one earth destroyer on fire rams another one yeah and i went down the pub after watching it and there were people down the pub were talking about it did you see Babylon five fucking hell but and then there was the the um the land entry, you know, was it, there's only one 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 captain, one Earth captain that ever ever defeated the Minbari. He's behind me. Yeah, so that's come up a lot the last couple of weeks after she passed away last week. Oh, that, that was so sad. I I was yeah. completely in love with Delenn for for a long time. She's she was an amazing character, but as I say, there were there were quite a few and season five. I know it wasn't uh... God's fault. But they had to wrap yeah. up early because they thought they were gonna. But yeah. all kind of stuff with the psychics and oh, oh yeah. a in the down below. But yeah, basically, what happened with season five was that initially Jenkinski was told, "Oh, you know, you thought you had five seasons. Well, we've only got four now. So write your story." Uh, season four, four season... was like incredibly condensed, and then the turned around about towards the end of season four said, "Well, you're doing so well. We thought we'd give you that season back," and uh, mm. he went. Oh. <laughs> I, I just I, told I, I my was, story and then I basically come up with like a season of epilogue Yeah, I was also a bit disappointed that they like for f- four seasons we were building up towards this kind of shadow Volon confrontation and he won it by just telling them to fuck off <laughs> <laughs> and they went oh alright then and, so, I liked how he got the, I liked how he got their attention though to be fair yeah. By nuking, like, right, let's get the tension. Boom! 
<laughs> you know what? I've right. never seen Babylon 5. It's been one of those uh, things ever. Uh, oh, the only thing, when somebody says Babylon 5 to me, all I think of is spaced is when uh, he's, he's going to quit from the comic book shop. He says, Babylon 5's a big pile of shit. And he says, get out. <laughs> Gary, Gary, I've lost all respect for you now. I'm sorry. I know you can take my geek cards off me, but uh, yeah. It, it's, I'm, it's... I'm not taking it off you. I'm shoving it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But I, I think at the end of the day, if it wasn't for Babylon 5, we wouldn't have had the um, Battlestar Galactica reboot. Yeah. And Ooh. that really took that kind of arc and ran with it. And... But yeah. the thing with the Battlestar Galactic reboot, as I understand it, they did not have like you know, a series bible. They just were completely. It's very much like a jazz approach to writing. They just did what they fancied. Be a, be, uh, Battlestar Galactic just really upset me because it was so good for three series, series, and it just went downhill so rapidly. And the final series is just dog shit. It's so yeah. bad. <laughs> It's like, it upset me reading it. I, I remember watching it, and I was just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? What is this? Is this like Earth 2? Yeah. Uh, it's like, ugh. But, but I think this is the problem with a show that hasn't got a, a beginning to an end structure. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's some shows that work perfectly because they know where they were going to start. They knew where they were going to end. And to get to that course, you know that it works perfectly. But there are shows, Battlestar Galactica, I think, was one of the best examples. I think they probably got told, right, season four is going to be your last one. They probably thought, oh, shit, we probably could have done another two, maybe three more. And they're like, right, okay, yeah, you've got to now wrap it up. You've got to now do something. Can we do something? No, we might give you a spin-off or something like that, but, you know, wrap this story up. And I think that's kind of where Game of Thrones went a bit wrong as well, because where they had so much material to work from, but then they got to a point. It's like, well, oh, hang on. We've now got to try and make an end to this. We have, we don't know what. Yeah, the end it was is. rushed. Well, uh, well, too rushed for such a complicated for such a complicated story. They just went. Uh, there's end. The worst thing was is that they cut the episode count. Why did they do that? The last two seasons should have still been ten episodes. It could have had more time to pace out. They could have really expanded on these characters. They could have really gave a, a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, obviously money. But um, people stopped watching as much. Yeah, that was the thing. They cut the money because people weren't watching as much, and they weren't willing to spend as much. Mm. And the the point at which they should have been spending more money on the big stuff, they got told, "Work with it." <laughs> yeah, but I think I think it's just with with Game of Thrones. They, I, I envisaged it when I when when I when I heard it was becoming. Uh, when I heard it was becoming a series and stuff, I was just like, "Wow, if they do this properly, and you know." this is going to be the talk of the internet for the rest of, you know, for the rest of time if they do it properly. And it's sort of the talk of the internet for the worst sort of reasons because it's like it was a bit of a, a you know, a damp squib at the end. And, yeah. you know, it's like I don't really, when I think about it, I don't really have any sort of kind of, from for something I loved and I the books I love and I just want them to finish them at the minute. But it's like I can't sort of, sort of think back at Game of Thrones to think, yeah, that was a, that was good. It's just like, because the, the last sort of two series, series and a half, I guess, have sort of tainted it slightly for me because I was just like, it just wasn't what I wanted it to be, especially reading the books and stuff. I'm just like, yeah, that that just, yeah, that left a bad taste in my mouth. The first two or three seasons, though, were so good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. When they were watching them yeah. and it was such a slow burn. I yeah. think that's why the ending is such a... They, they lost jolt. their pacing. They'd set a pace, 
Yeah. And they, they lost that. And I think that's probably where it came unraveled was instead it, of them moving it forward in a way that you, you were used to, yeah. suddenly you were going quick, slow, quick, slow, quick, fuck, well, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, also there was an entire season about um, basically um, Brianna and Jamie walking from the north to King's yeah. Landing. It took them, an, <laughs> you know, an entire year, basically. Um, and then in the last season, it's they're stuck in the... They're surrounded by zombies, so it's great. Quick, run and get help. And he manages <laughs> to run all the way to the other end of the continent and summon some dragons that pop up ten minutes later. Yeah, and apparently and the, these the continents meant to be absolutely huge, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> as well. So, uh, so it, yeah, they were just like, oh, if we take a boat, we can nip up there in a day, and it was like. <sighs> Yeah, they just uh, yeah, it annoyed yeah. me. I didn't like. I didn't mind. I didn't mind Danny turning bad. I thought that was that in a way that sort of was oh. good. It's just the way they did it, and it was the yeah. you know, and, yeah. and John Snow just turned into a fucking you know. Mm. I, I just didn't like him, and you know, like even like um, Grey Worm and things. Where he's just sort of like yeah, so. You know, you, you you killed you killed the Khaleesi, and he, he just sort of left, and all kinds of crazy shit. And I was just like, mm. the only sort of really good. I liked the Clagan Bowl. I liked when um when uh, the Hound and the Mountain fought each other. You know, yeah. ridiculous. I'm annoyed about the battle for Winterfell. You know, I just it didn't sort of you know yeah. yeah. It had well, a lot too- of it, one. It was too dark, and two, it had a lot of sort of. It had a lot of um, prom- promise, but it just didn't. It didn't. We'd been building up to that battle, though. All the seasons were building towards that battle, and then it was just like, yeah, that and was it. it. And, and because of, like, historically as well, I was just thinking, I was like, why are you putting your men out here? Why are you doing this? And I was just like, it's so ridiculous. You just literally charged cavalry into an unknown position and you're wondering why they've been obliterated it does it just makes no sense and i was just like yeah um Matt, I, your I, military history degree is showing yeah well yeah. I, I yeah well, well I, that, that actually leads on to another question when you're watching series um and you've read the books are you a sort of a guy who can sort of part yourself from the books or are you like that wasn't like that in the book that was like this in the book yeah, this is why I said earlier that I'm reading the Expanse books before I watch the series. Because <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It will, you know, I've got my mental pictures of the crew and they have been a bit tainted by, you know, the, the trailers for the Expanse and stuff that I've seen. Um, but I kind of want to finish the books because also I think if I start watching the series and they diverge slightly from the books, I'm going to be really confused when I read the last mm. book because <laughs> bits of continuity will be slightly different. So You're going to be all torn up. Yeah. Yeah, and I have. Tr- I'm not a fancy reader, but I gave Game of Thrones a go after watching the series, and didn't really get on with it because I kind of had the the the, um, the TV show in my head, so yeah. it kind of it kind of ruined yeah. the, the the books for me. That you know, I've got to read like 50 million pages just to get to like this part in the story, do I? And I, you know, I just want to get on with it. So. Yeah. I had to I had to sit there for like I read um, because they were filming it in the basically in my village back in Northern Ireland they filmed a lot of it in sort of like where we used to play as kids and down the road you can see the wall and stuff so I was like right I'm going to read all of these books because you know 
I'm a massive fantasy guy, and you know they're filming in my in my home village, so I need to sort of get on this. I read them all in two weeks when I was on holiday in Egypt, and literally like back to back, just hammered them every day. Didn't do anything other than read these books, and um, I had to sit for like five years before the red wedding came up and i was like people don't know what's just about to happen to these people and i was just like oh no and it was getting me upset you know the john snow thing i was like oh my god this is another big thing everybody loves john snow and he's gonna die and this and <sighs> yeah and it's yeah. just annoying that he hasn't finished now because it's like the only good thing about him not finishing and me not liking the end to the series is that when he does hopefully finish the books, it will be completely different than what the series is, and I can sort of have I my so. I can have my dark ending that I want. I want to have this sort of like, oh my god, did they just do that sort of ending? Because that's what he's meant. That's what his stuff is. It's meant to be why the you know people you love don't last long, and I and and I I like that as much as it upsets me. I like it, you know. Um, I mean, he did say that he had told the producers like several bits of information about how the, each character, where they end up and what happens. And I'm thinking he sat at home now crossing a lot of stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And going, <laughs> oh, I, shit, they the really one, hated that. Yeah, <laughs> big time. The one bit he did talk about, the one bit he did say was his, that they did use in the show, was the bit with Hodor, the whole revelation about how he came to be. He said that was part of book six. Whether or not yeah. they're still going to be part of it, who well, knows? Apparently, uh, apparently somebody figured that out. Um, uh, yeah. There was a story about, about it. Yeah. 2011, something like that. Yeah, there was, was something. Some, something about an elevator and, um, you know, you're, it was something to do with him holding the door in an elevator and stuff. And I uh, can't remember the exact story behind it and stuff, but um, somebody said that, oh, like, Hodor, Hodor, hold the door. And George R. Martin turns to the guy and says, well, you're closer than you, th you you think, sort of thing. So. Good job it wasn't minor door. And <laughs> <laughs> got a job on the London Underground. Oh, I'm the gap. Me gap. Looking at the comments on YouTube, I saw that we've got this echo thing going on, Matt. Yeah. Um, but um, the pale lady said, Babylon 5, the whole thing was worth it just for Jagar. And I think it does point out that, again, a good plot you still need to have the right actors and babylon 5 had a real lucky job there yeah. obviously you said you fell in love with um delaine would you say that she was your favorite character and performance from the whole series she was the amazing the empathic character um which i thought was i'd not really seen in sci-fi before she really cared about um sheridan and really cared about people and mm -hmm. cared about suffering and but at the same time she could be hard as nails when she wanted to be mm -hmm. and she but she wasn't she wasn't a wilting love interest she had her own shit going on and her own stuff um which i really liked um i jakar bless him he he started out as like the moustache twirling villain, and I like yeah. the fact he turned in his complete turnaround. And, oh, um, and um, you do not uh, thump the book of Jaquan. <laughs> yes, and and uh, Londo, 
who started out as like the comedy relief and turned into a, a, a villain. I love the fact, and bless both those actors, mm. dressed up so stupidly they played every line like it was Shakespeare. Um, oh god, yeah. So you know they. In lesser actors' hands, those two characters would have been dreadful, but they, I those mean, two guys, really. The assistants were brilliant as well. I yeah. always love um, how Veer grew from yes. the the dolls. And then there was the the thing in the market. Do you remember where um, he they they took the Mickey out of him because he was just the assistant, and he walks into the meeting, takes the sword off the wall, so just need to borrow this for a second. <laughs> All the way back to the infamous thing where Norden asks him what he wants. Yeah. Do you remember that one? And yeah. he just, yeah. The, 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 I remember this talk by Jim Krasinski, and he said, like, the, um, the purpose of Delenn and Jakar was that the, their characters be complete opposites by the end. Jakar was to be was to be a warrior that became a priest, whilst Delenn was to be a, a priest that became a warrior. Mm-hmm. And like, and if you look at every principal character, they all become a they all go through a fundamental change in the process of that story. Um, even just like the smaller characters such as Zach Allen or who becomes the security chief or um, Patricia Tormann as um, Lita Alexander who goes from a minor telepath to being a volon force weapon. of nature <laughs> yeah, but, yeah yeah um, but yeah I mean I still can't look at that uh, that guy without thinking of Kanicki in Greece <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear uh, I must admit, I still can't watch Sleeping in Light without crying at the end. Yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful episode, that one. Was that, was that the final one? Very final yes. one. Yeah, I, I kind of, when, when I watched it, I kind of decided in my own head that you skip from the end of season four to Sleeping in Light and you just miss everything else out. Which, well, is, which is how they shot it, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly yeah. how they shot it. They, they yeah. shot like uh, Sleeping in Light at the end of season four. Then when they realised that um, season five was going ahead, right, okay, we put this in lock and shifted to the end of season five and hence it's the only episode of season five that had Susan Ivana on it because of that little issue with Claudia Christian (laughs) so basically (laughs) when I do watch it I watch four seasons and skip to the end of season five yeah that's fair pretty much yeah although there is a very good episode in season five which was written by Neil Gaiman that's a good point yeah yeah maybe a small exception but Um, and if anyone if anyone offers to let you watch Legend of the Rangers then they're not your friend and you're to beat them until they stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, myself and Mark are, are, are massive Warhammer 40k fans. Have you ever delved into the Black Library at all? Sorry, I was just having a sneeze there. <laughs> I, I went for a walk in a snowstorm today and that might, may have been a tactical error. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. Yes, I, 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 in fact, I've been approached to write for them. Oh, uh, brilliant! But, well. but not, not come up with, um, not come up with anything at the moment. Um, but, but they did ask me at one point. Um, yeah, I, I used to play Warhammer um, as, as a kid on a, when I was in the sixth form um, at school doing our A levels. Wednesday afternoon was like sports afternoon yeah. at school, so people <laughs> go off and play football or cricket. And me and my mates played uh, Warhammer 40k role playing, oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, much to the chagrin of many of our teachers, who would come in and say, "Do you want to go out outside?" And it's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> but we 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 had sort of characters, and we played for uh, you know a, a couple of years, and then you know the 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 guy who was DMing us would would 
use kind of Call of Cthulhu adventures and and uh, paranoia adventures and everything and weave, <laughs> them, weave them all into these Warhammer characters that we had I, you know I, I had a space marine cadet who was rather fond of his multi-melter <laughs> you know we had orcs and halfling there was I think it ended up that we went through this weird dimensional time rift and ended up in 1980s Bristol <laughs> <laughs> The halflings, <laughs> the halflings got jobs um, shepherding trolleys at Sainsbury's. And uh, the, the Eldar crashed the solstice celebrations at Stonehenge and got arrested. And the Marines had to bust them out of Salisbury Police Station. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite splendid. That being said, like old school 40k was pretty bonkers anyway. Like, so oh, yeah. you know, you, you could go yeah. that way. So, <laughs> it's an awful lot more formalized these days, isn't it? But would you, would you find because obviously everything you write's your own? Um, yeah. with, with, with Black Library, you would have to adhere to specific sort of kind of markers and things. Do you think that would be hard? I. I kind of the, the things I write tend to be quite fun and hopeful, and those are two words you cannot apply to the Black Library. <laughs> no, no. no. Um, much as I love it, and much as I kind of you know the, the I've enjoyed the stuff Danny Ware has written. It's been fantastic, and uh, her Sisters of Mercy kind of uh, novellas and stuff. I. I don't want to say I never would, just in case Black Library are listening and going, that bastard. And <laughs> because their books do sell really, really, really well. But at the moment, I kind of might, you know, talking to my agent about it, and he's very much like, Gareth, you have a brand that is like, which is a horrible word, but, you know, your readers come to you for fun and hope and, and, and stuff. And if you wrote a, a Warhammer, that wouldn't be... A Gareth Power novel, if you see what I mean, because you wouldn't be able to put a lot of what you love about writing into it. So, from that point of view, and and you know, after the whole Donald Trump thing, my kind of patience for fascism has very much diminished. <laughs> so, you know, even like ironic fascism, it's just like, oh fuck's sake. So, you know, maybe I could write something about the elder or something orcs they're all pretty ridiculous you know you can have something they're you know they're a bit more sort of open to things so yeah i think i skew more towards an elder than an orc um just generally um you know you know after brexit i think um yeah so you know maybe i could write something about the elder kind of um floating around the universe being you know floaty and elf like and then <laughs> shooting the shit out of a lot of stuff but you know you know maybe one day i, I wouldn't rule it out but um i i have to say i i am a big fan of shit happening in books so you know when, when you know when my favorite characters get killed off as much as upsets me i kind of like it in a way in a weird dark way that's why i like sort of kind of darker things because it's something that sort of hits me in the feels and that makes me sort of enjoy book because I, I like it, unexpected things happening so that's why i sort of have an affinity towards george r, r. martin and obviously uh the black library stuff because a lot of shit just goes down and you're just like okay wasn't expecting that 
I mean, em- Embers of War is, is sometimes described as military science fiction, but it's kind of the opposite. So it's kind of like the antithesis of Warhammer in that, A, the war is over. Yeah. Um, and B, these characters are, are recovering from it. They haven't just shrugged it off and gone on to, like, mow down a, a million other <laughs> chaos demons. They've kind of... <laughs> That they've been through the war and they're a bit fucked up by it, and they've, you know, they've they haven't suffered. been rounded up and shot. Yeah, That's the other thing that happens, of course. Exactly, and I, 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 you know, it's it's the antithesis of a future where there is nothing but warfare and whatever. I mean, you know, if I I lived in the Warhammer, I'd go, you know, fuck the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> fuck the emperor. Fuck. <laughs> Emperor, the stupid bastard. Um, <laughs> look where he's got us. So it would be, you know, I, I, I would be, you know, making peace with the Eldar and exterminating the orcs and all, all that kind of luck. So, you know, um, I, I would write a hopeful book set in the Warhammer universe, which I think would not go down well with people who like. I don't know. Or- I think it's because it, it'd be so sort of, it would be so different than it might actually work. Yeah. A peace conference. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, you, there's all kinds of things going on. Who, who knows? Why, why? Give it a whirl. See what happens. Yeah. A, a peace conference. The, 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 you know, you've got a gene stealer there. Going, <laughs> going, no, wait your turn. Then the delegates, not the snack bar. God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> it could be a changeling who's sort of trying to ruin a, a peace conference within, sort of, you know, between. Who knows? It could be smaller. There's all kinds of races that could be in, but yeah. Who knows? Don't, I would, I would honestly like to see something. Your sort of kind of take on it would be would be an interesting take because it would be something different. It'd be fresher, fresher, fresher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes that's a good thing to have something yeah. that is completely you know, a, a, a apart. peace conference where somebody's murdered one of the delegates and they all have to work together to figure out who that yeah, would yeah. be. Well, you've got uh, you do have a lot. Some of the books where you literally have the you know these. They they will fight with each other because it's for the the greater good of what needs to be done. So I don't see why not. You know, it would be it'd be an interesting, interesting read. Um, want to think about it? A quick loop round. George R. R. Martin. Obviously, everyone knows him for um, Game of Thrones. Have you ever read any of his other work, like the Wild Cards books or Tough Voyaging? Um, I've dipped into the Wild Cards and really enjoyed it uh, a couple of my uh, my friends have written for it and I've, I've always thought it looked like a a cracking wheeze so um <laughs> it would you know I, I i quite you know enjoy that but i've not i've not really read much of his other stuff i've, I've uh, i mean tough origin you might actually quite like it's kind of like a series of short stories all tied together right. and it's kind of in that sort of vein of what you're, you tried to try to read it's in the aftermath of things getting screwed up with some with some very pointed stories uh, and moral lessons by, by virtue of civil discourse and genetic engineering. <laughs> I've, been, I've been recommended some of his sci-fi as well, which, uh, you know, I have a to-read list that is... Huge. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you can see it from space. <laughs> I've just added your books to mine as well, so... <laughs> <God>. Yeah. <laughs> I have a wish list of books that's a private one. And every time I add something to it, Amazon says, are you sure you want to do that? Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> I've, see, I've, got, I've, I've got Audible now, so I try to sort of get mine stuff. So I, when I'm painting or when I'm doing something random, I can have these in the background. But even that's huge now. 
I've had to stop buying books because I um, I'm at the point where publishers are sending me books for in the hope of a, <laughs> a blurb quote, and it's all I can do to keep up with books written by friends. So it's let alone anyone else, and it's yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Right, um, been on for about two hours. Been ex- extremely enjoyable. I think we're at the end of there though. Uh, getting quite late um but uh is there anything you need is there anything you want to pimp now is there any 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 websites or anything you want to sort of kind of uh talk about before we go my only fans account no. that came out of left field that's amazing <laughs> oh god oh. as i say that that book no, with no, uh, fun I, the TV show now, right? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, the um, the uh, Peter Hamilton uh, and I wrote that book, and that's coming out. Light Chaser that's coming out from Tor dot com in August. In April, Solaris are releasing a special tenth anniversary edition of my novel, The Recollection, with a new introduction by me and a, a, a really nice new cover. Um, and then I think the um, next book from Titan is due February next year, if I can pull my finger out and get these edits done. <laughs> um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Really Definitely. interesting. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, enjoy your enjoy. Well, enjoy 21, 2021 as best you can. And I, I you. hope uh, the um, I hope this the TV series uh, goes really well. I, I hope it gets on Netflix. That'll be awesome so good um but yes thank you very much um for me uh tonight i've been matt geary uh with me has been mark canty evening all and thank you very much for coming on uh peter ray allison stay safe everyone and look out for each other john joe cosgrove take care all see you soon and our special guest gareth Pyle. no one told me i needed a catchphrase <laughs> night all <laughs>